Hello, you are listening to Resident Advisors Exchange. I'm Martha. Thank you so much for joining us. For our first exchange of 2022, I would like to play you my conversation with Manchester-based DJ, producer and community builder, Finn. So we caught up a while back to chat about his record, A Good Place. This was a record I made because I was feeling real, really crap. Crap about dance music, crap about the world. I didn't see clubs coming back. Couldn't really see anything good coming back. So I tried to make a, I guess make some make some music as a form of, making music as a form of therapy is such a cliche, isn't it? But the, this was a record I really made because I was like, you know, struggling to get out of bed and made it all on my laptop in bed and only released it after lockdown, which felt like, Probably, mi- probably missed the boat because everyone's like, yeah, everyone's not <laughs> moved on. But it was, yeah, that was a, it. Was a time in my life. It was a time in my life, which I think you can hear. It sounds pretty sleepy. It sounds pretty dreamy. As well as making music, organising club nights, and nurturing his label to be real, Finn works very hard to keep NTS Radio's Manchester branch thriving. As you're about to hear, we spoke about what it was like starting NTS Manchester, how Finn prioritises the vision of the artists he works with on To Be Real, and why the Manchester venue Soup has been so significant in his musical evolution. I really hope that you enjoy listening to Finn on RA's Exchange. Finn, welcome to Ari's Exchange. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for joining me. Would you tell everyone where you are today? I'm in my flat in South Manchester, which is pretty rainy, pretty grey, nothing to report. (laughs) Nothing to report. And have you always lived in Manchester? No, I grew up in Derbyshire and then I went to university in Hull and then I moved to Manchester after university, so... God, I don't know. I don't know what year that is. I'll have to work that out. I should have done my homework. <laughs> and what was the motivation for selecting Manchester? Um, clubbing, really. Pretty, um, yeah, pretty focused at that age. I had some friends in Manchester. I used to be a resident at a night in Manchester um, called Chowdown. And that was really my main motivation for moving there. I wanted to be closer to my pals I played music with. Looked like a good city. Um yeah, I can't remember thinking about anything else at that age, to be honest. Just focused on Manchester? Yeah, just wanted to uh, get stuck in. Mm-hmm. Um, what were some of your like raving experiences prior to living in Manchester that you had that made you think, like, yes, this will be my home? Um, I, I remember Craig from Chowdown, so Craig Dobson, who I lived with for many years as well, he took me out to a swing ting at Soup Kitchen and he said to me, got to go swing ting he was like these guys they're the best at what they do and I remember going and having a really proper good night out a very uh um yeah I guess it not it wasn't one of those nights where it changed my life but um going to soup kitchen and starting to experience clubbing like that was a big a big hook for me as to why I moved to the city nice um, well, let's start at the beginning then, if you're up for it. Uh, sure. Do you have an early memory that you would be up for sharing with us that's connected to sound or music, like your first becoming aware moment of music? Um, first becoming aware of music, I guess I do remember in terms of DJing and dance music, finding uh i guess being in mates bedrooms and trying to recreate daft punk mashups from a live album that was a pretty early memory um yeah most of it is sitting on laptops in friends bedrooms trying to uh recreate mixes we've heard or um yeah recreate videos we'd found on youtube i so i grew up because i grew up in derbyshire dance music for me was always essentially an abstract 
thing until I was 18. A concept. A concept. And I looked, I looked about 12 until I was 20. So I didn't get let in anywhere. Like I tried with fake IDs and stuff. And I remember, <laughs> remember being turned away. I've, I've, when I went around the back of DQ in Sheffield once and tried to get into an Errol Alcon night and Errol Alcon met me, met, got out of his car to go to the night and I was like, will you get me in? I'm 16. And he said, absolutely not, but <laughs> I appreciate the spirit. I was like, no worries. Aww. What a nice guy. So yeah, that, that was... Very responsible. Yeah, it was very responsible, actually. I'm glad. I'm probably glad he didn't take me in in hindsight. But yeah, that, that's most of my early memories of dance music, frustration and trying to get in places. <laughs> and when you were trying to recreate mixes and sets, what were you using? Uh, Ableton, because we'd read okay. read Daft Punk used Ableton on some interview, okay. and we were like, "This is it. This is the this is the software for us." So you went straight in with Ableton. It's impressive. Yeah, and that was how I DJed for years, like making mixtapes and dragging tracks in Ableton. And before, I remember friends getting CDJs, and I had no idea, like. I, I, that was new to me like and I've been making mixes for like you know years before that for, probably from like 15 making a lot of mixes and then yeah once everyone had enough pocket money to spend on decks took it took a while for me to like make the jump mm. and so what what kind of tracks were you assembling in these early mixes and mixtapes oh terrible stuff awful <laughs> awful stuff like <laughs> I got, I was big into Fidget House at 15. Like, why wouldn't you be okay. at 15? And like, yeah, stuff like, I guess my intro, one of my big intros was like Mastercraft. Do you remember Mastercraft who were like, Death from Above split up and I used to be into that sort of grungy, I guess, skater sort of music stuff. Hearing the, that first Mastercraft record was like a, a bit of an in for me into electronic music, which hasn't, hasn't aged terribly actually, that, that first Mastercraft record. But a lot of the stuff I was listening to back then has aged like milk. Just awful, awful <laughs> records. Do you still have the files? No. Well, they're on like my family's, my, like my dad's <laughs> desktop computer. Dad yeah. plays them every now and again. Yeah, I'm sure my dad's, you know, getting back into the bloody beat roots as we speak. But <laughs> no, I've, I've not gone back to any of those files. They're probably all, mm. yeah, they're all like, I don't know terrible quality as well this is like bloghouse era as well right mm. you were using ableton then how has your setup changed like do you use anything different no it's not it's not changed at all really i just use ableton and a pair of headphones and that's how i've that was like how i started with music and that's sort of where i'm still at i've toyed with the i mean next year i want to get some outboard get kit and um start making music in a bit more of a focused fashion but yeah I've spent most of my in fact my entire music career has just been looking at the Ableton mm. what, what would you call it? workspace I guess and yeah. that, that's that been the limits of my world so yeah quite yeah weird to think of it like that actually I've just I've not changed since first making mashups to <laughs> trying to make proper serious records it's all the same same thing ultimately hey if it works for you then and it's clearly working so yeah something right i think i think i should make a change so i think i've been thinking about this a lot next year i'm gonna buy an npc or something and get get out of that space mm. so in terms of like becoming you know fully immersed in music in terms of being sort of a part of the scene what was your path like how did you build your connections when you arrived in manchester and did you always want to work in music or was there anything else on the cards that you might have worked in? Um, I guess I, well, the first big thing I did in, in Manchester moving there was I was fresh out of, I think I was fresh out of university and I went down to London to meet with Femi from NTS. And this was, I guess it was all, I think I sent Femi probably a fairly deranged email saying, I'm gonna start my own radio station in Manchester. Can <laughs> you help? And Femi, bless him said come come down for a meeting and like we can have a proper chat so went down to London had a proper chat with Femi who said I remember Femi saying as well like you're like 19 like you don't you don't have to start a radio station necessarily it's a lot of work and was sort of probably good advice but I was my heart was set on I really wanted to do something in radio in Manchester so um came back up 
came back up and I remember having a couple, meeting some people who also wanted to do some stuff in radio. So like Leon Riley and Ben Hughes. Um, Leon and Ben, she started chatting to me. They had a studio space. Uh, met Seb, who was also sort of helped pull it together. And we went back and pitched to NTS to let us start NTS Manchester as a as an outpost, as its its own station, um, broadcasting through the London infrastructure, I guess, if you like. Um, so yeah, and that was really my, that was then, you know, I actually had a brief of find DJs in Manchester, understand the scene. And I, I mean, this is going to sound terrible in hindsight, but like I actually found a lot of like people after I'd done all this about, you know, I want to start a radio station and then sort of like reverse engineered learning who was playing mm. where. And like, it was pure like teenage enthusiasm, but I, you know, as a result of that, I've spent, God, I, how long has NTS Manchester been now? Six, five, six years maybe. And I've, I've spent like a day, at first it was two days, but a day every weekend for the last six years sat in a, sat in a studio producing other people who were playing records or, um, yeah, every corner of Manchester and sitting and listening to them playing records, sometimes chatting with them, sometimes not chatting with them, just listening and that's been my really the foundation of like my taste and establishing myself in Manchester meeting people mm. and what was your kind of relationship to radio like prior to starting NTS Manchester like why were you so hell-bent on getting a radio station in Manchester I think I think part of it was I so going back a bit to when I was at university I did a um I did a course called American Studies in Hull. So I had four years in Hull, which was already pretty remote in terms of connection to music. Um, there wasn't a huge amount of music activity in Hull. And then I went to San Francisco for a year abroad. And this was when I was 19. Yeah, so this was just before, when I came back, this when I went to see Femi, I think. And I think being in San Francisco and then not being a scene for UK music and especially this was when sort of um, grime was having its resurgence so there was a lot of radio activity there was like slack on NTS mum dance um, boxed on rinse lots of stuff was happening that I was really excited and interested in and my only way of engaging with it was radio and radio seemed like the foundation of the music scene really and I remember coming back and thinking it's Manchester does have a lot of like amazing heritage radio show, you know, stations. And there's some like really long standing stations which are, you know, still on the dial, but not for, I guess, not necessarily open to like over eager, exciting kids who are like, uh, excited kids rather, who are like wanting to try stuff out on radio in the same way that MTS felt like a bit of an open format. So I think. Yeah, it was it was pretty much that my whole experience of exciting music was through radio until I was about I don't know when I, when I came back twenty one. Mm, so it kind of kept you connected whilst you were out of the UK. Yeah, definitely, and felt like you could hear things happening that you maybe can't if you weren't in clubs. Mm, yeah. Do you find from observing people coming in to do shows? Um, and then maybe seeing those same people play in Manchester, do you find people approach creating radio differently to their club sets? Yeah, I think so. I think having known a lot of the people who've been on that station for so long now, um, I've, I'm, you know, I've, I've met most of my pals in Manchester through music, have been through NCS in one way or another, or meeting them in the studio, catching up with them afterwards. I think, yeah. Maybe not as much as you'd imagine. I think Manchester, NCS Manchester for many years was quite quite clubby focused and was a bit of a reflection of the club scene at that time. Um, so people were showing, you know, showing their work in, in terms of how they present in a club as well. Radio was sort of similar, which I guess is a sort of, that's, you know, quite a UK radio tradition, I guess, isn't it? Of like the grime set mm -hmm. or like the, um, yeah, playing like mashup sort of, Chris Biscuit sort of garage style stuff like that that was sort of the flavour of NTS Manchester I mean it's, cha it's changed a lot since then but yeah it was quite close to the club scene at the start uh, how would you say it's changed I think people 
I think radio's changed for the better in terms of people talk more. And I think the format of radio's changed a little bit that it doesn't feel like people are necessarily just having a mix anymore. And it feels like there's a bit more... It feels like the UK radio scene to me, or UK radio grassroots, feels like it's matured a little bit and people treat radio as its own format with its own idiosyncrasies. And I think talking is a big one. I think NTS Manchester is now more chatty, which is good because it, you know, I, I yeah, I think live radio is still, you know, a thing of beauty when it's, you know, you can get an atmosphere or a, um, you can get the excitement from the studio listening back at home. And, you know, and lock, lockdown, obviously, elephant in the room in terms of radio, but lockdown really mm-hmm. emphasised this to a lot of people. I think that, like, personality, hosting, chatting, that's all really important and has kind of changed changed the way people approach it a little, I think. Mm. So were you still working on NTS Manchester throughout the pandemic? Yeah. Yeah, so it's me and, me and Ben are still running the station. And, and how did you have to adapt... Uh, we had to get everyone broadcasting from home, basically, which NTS did, I think, you know, a sterling job with. And there's been a lot said about how great NTS um, was throughout the pandemic. And, you know, that breakfast show, especially like Charlie Bones, was like, you know, very, very important to a lot of people in terms of uh, mood and, you know, getting out of bed in the morning, a lot of people said. And I think, yeah, NTS did a great job of thinking, right, there's, you know, we need to make sure we can get hosts broadcasting from home or just make sure people can still send shows in and we've still got a you know a platform to broadcast from so me and ben sort of headed up the manchester end of that which was good i think i think it was yeah i mean you just you just do these things at the time don't you but um looking back i think it was it was good that nts didn't what's the word stumble i guess or there was mm. it felt like people rose to the challenge of okay we're going to keep doing radio definitely and being mobile enough you know maybe having that experience of broadcasting from LA and broadcasting from Manchester right. maybe set them ahead of other stations perhaps they're a bit more mobile with that stuff yeah definitely mm. um so yes let's speak a bit more about lockdown because you've made a record which is slightly more you know introspective yeah do you want to tell everyone about it yeah, so this was a record I just put out called A Good Place, which was basically four tracks I made at rock bottom, really, in lockdown. Because I don't know, I've had I've had a relationship with music for a while where I make I, I always make records about how sad I feel or like, you know, and it's sort of joke about it, or we've always joked about it, like that my records are quite angsty. And that's they've sort of been a little bit tongue in cheek, but this is, you know, this was a record I made because I was feeling real, really crap. Crap about dance music. Um, crap about the world. I didn't see clubs coming back and I didn't see, couldn't really see anything good coming back. So I tried to make a, I guess make some make some music as a form of, making music as a form of therapy is such a cliche, isn't it? But the this was a record I really made because I was like, you know, struggling to get out of bed and made it all on my laptop in bed and only released it after lockdown which felt like probably probably missed the boat because everyone's like yeah everyone's not (laughs) moved on but it was yeah that was it it was a time in my life it was a time in my life so that that's the the pitch for the latest record really um Mm. which i think you can hear it sounds pretty sleepy it sounds pretty dreamy Mm. yeah i think a lot of people's listening habits at home have generally been changed by the pandemic it's not necessarily about like catching up with the latest club music all the time it's just like giving yourself a soundtrack to how you're genuinely feeling in that moment mm. is there like an ideal setting that you would imagine a listener taking this in like did you have anything in mind when you were making the tracks i'm not yeah i'm not sure actually i don't th- no i don't think i've thought about it that much but then i really don't think about i don't really think about music that much when i'm making it and i kind of try and have like a bit of a what's the word for this like I don't know try and be quite um immediate with making music and not think about yeah necessarily where it's gonna be played or like where it fits in so Mm. I've played it in clubs and it's yeah you know it's it's club music it works in a club but it, it is quite overwrought and I guess my music is always a bit like 
melodramatic for want of a better word and that's sort of its charm but um i think this probably is a home listening record more than it is a club record it's a bit more slightly out of out of body but then maybe i've just not played the right gig yet like yeah it could it could work really well at a certain time of the night um but i quite i, I do quite like it for that as well because i think it yeah it's it's nice to produce something that you feel like is a little bit a little bit weird or a little bit not quite i don't know straightforward especially in terms of dance music mm. and that was that kind of like the headspace that you was in when you were making it like not straightforward yeah i guess i was listening to in lockdown i got really into listening to like raji burrell i hope i'm pronouncing raji right raji burrell like the burrell brothers and like new groove and like a lot of that sort of like new york like not quite garage not quite techno not quite house space and listening to some like bleep records as well so quite moody disconcerting disorientating stuff and but still like quite soulful and um that was really the space I was in listening to listening to all that stuff a lot in lockdown which is all down it's all dance music but it's like some of those records you do listen to and you think like this is barely made for a dance floor it's almost like a a mood a mood piece it's like mood music some of it doesn't really there's no build-up there's no drop it's not like it's not our conception of dance music in you know 20 2021 or whatever so that yeah that was loosely where i was where i was trying to get to i don't know if it was successful mm. or not but that yeah those are the records i was aping i guess mm. and what else were you kind of consuming uh not just music like what else were you sort of taking in at that stage god i mean I, it's weird to think about this when when lockdown happened me and my pals started something we called Film Club, tentatively named Film Club. And we were like, right, we're going to watch a film every night. And we did maybe two films every night and then sometimes three. And this lasted for about, wow. oh God, it lasted for like four or five months or something. I watched so many films. I think I just cooked my brain on like, also like crap B movies and just like, we weren't even, we weren't even always watching good movies. That's the thing. We'd be watching stuff no one was enjoying just out of like, I don't know, um, dogma. It became dogmatic. So, yeah, I, I watched a load of films. Sort of, I sort of got into horror films, which I'd never really watched before. Um, what a time to get into horror films. That's... I know. Bizarre. <laughs> but, yeah, we basically, it was like me, Tom from Local Action, Merlo, L, Anders was in there for a bit with Joe. There was like, there was a rotating cast. There was a core crew, but there was a rotating cast of like music pals. Um like Platt Ruben from Swingting and yeah, we'd all pick a film and you'd all, there'd be a rotor and you'd have to pick your film ahead of time and stuff. That's got, like a book club. It was, it was like, a, it, yeah, it was like a book club, but it got, it really got on top of us. I think by the end, film club ran our lives, but, but more than, <laughs> more than the other way around. But yeah, that was my, my probably my, my biggest memory of lockdown. Yeah. Just watching three films every night, mm. which was, you know, an education, I guess, but I can't really remember many of them. <laughs> Do you reckon any of that leaked into the record? Because I know if I watched a lot of films in a row like that, they would all just merge into one in my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can honestly remember maybe five films maximum that we watched. In... <laughs> yeah, some of it did, I think. I think, um, yeah, there was a couple of soundtracks I was listening to a lot. I think we rewatched The Warriors, maybe. Yeah, and some of that, like, 80s cd flanged soundtrack really stuck with me um but yeah i did watch a lot of horror actually yeah that'll put you in your feelings when you're watching <laughs> not allowed out your house and you're watching oh yeah the exorcist straight into hereditary or something yeah yeah maybe maybe that is why it feels like a weird record <laughs> what you were touching on about um we sort of talked about your early raving experience earlier but yeah. I thought maybe post lockdown, you could, as we're sort of starting to hopefully come out of things, you could give us a bit of an update on the Manchester scene. Have you been out much? Have you been playing much <laughs> yet? How's it going? Yeah, from the ground, Walter Cronkite on the Manchester club scene. <laughs> yeah, I've been going out a bit. I've played at Soup and I've played at White Hotel. Soup I did with Beth Clemency, who we released a record. Actually, we released two records sort of semi in lockdown together. So that was really good fun getting into a club with Beth and we did all night together. And then 
last Friday we had a party called, which was bookends of like our last party we did before lockdown was me, me and Boogism, Jungle Joe and Chunky decided we were going to start a night together, a residence night in your sort of swinging hoya hoya mold in Manchester, I guess, of like residence parties being a bit of a thing. We were like, we got really excited and we were like, we're going to do it, we're going to start a party. Um, and then we did, and then we did the first one, it was really good. And then everything locked down on the Monday after we did the party on the Saturday. So we were like, great, just trapped, trapped in time. And that, I felt like it, in, I found it really difficult. I felt like I was in stasis because I'd built up this party in my head so much that I just wanted to throw more and it fed into a sort of really, yeah, I, I just hated it. I really wanted to throw more parties. So doing that last Friday felt like a really nice bookend to that feeling of, okay, we're back. We can throw parties again with our pals and um, get back to it. And then I, I don't think I played particularly well last Friday as well, which was really annoying because I, I finished my set and just thought, you've thought about that for two over two <laughs> years and you, you know, and then you clang the first three records. Like that's appalling, unforgivable. But yeah, it's been, it has been good getting back out. And I think you can feel crowds getting back into it. It's not been a, I don't think it's been a, an explosion of, it's not the second summer of love. People aren't, going crazy people are sort of coming back and holding back a little bit maybe mm. i think i think it's going to take a really long time not not a really long time but it's going to take longer than people think before clubbing feels comfortable part of your routine again you know i think the big thing as well so many people are still working from home so you've not there's not a friday night churn anymore where you end up out after work you meet someone for pints and then fast forward you're in a club which was always my favorite thing about manchester was that you could you didn't have to plan to go out you could just end up out and that's hot that's all changed i think you've got to buy your tickets stuff selling out and yeah i don't know it feels like it's going to take a little while to get back to that sort of natural clubbing which feels yeah feels more like the you know the friday night as a a continuation of the week Mm, absolutely and people are are coming back to the clubs slightly different than the last time they were in them and they've you know been for a lot would you say you feel different stepping back in the clubs yeah a little bit yeah I guess yeah I guess a lot has changed and it feels dance music feels like I mean there's all sorts that's gone on in dance music in terms of especially clubs shutting down and so many people losing their jobs in that industry specifically I think it's like more more of a tragedy than the industry has given time to and it doesn't feel like actually there has been a proper reckoning with what's gone on throughout lockdown so club spaces do feel a little bit not not more politicized but i think clubbing now is more of a thoughtful space and especially putting parties on feels like it has to be more thoughtful which can only be a good thing but yeah I, that's been my, my my sort of overriding feeling is that actually we need to be careful about this and think about it and it's emphasized how um how easy how easy it can go away but how easily things can shut down and how easily you know the rug can get pulled out um so yeah it feels like that that has all fed into it i don't know if audiences are necessarily feeling that but yeah i think it's changed the way I've, i think about throwing parties especially mm what would you say you've sort of learned in this sort of reflection time that we've had? I th yeah, I'm not sure if I've, yeah, what have I learned? I guess, I guess I got a really big beam up on it about dance music not being treated as a art form in lockdown. And I, yeah, I ended up like, I wrote an angry letter to the Guardian, which is like, you should never do. That's indulging your absolute worst worst impulses but being the guy writing an angry letter to the guardian but i was i was absolutely incensed at the conversation that was happening in the country about clubbing and people also like the services industry and hospitality sort of being like i don't know what the word is there was people weren't talking about the art that was built around that and in that and it it was so muddy it all got um 
you know, I think dance music was discussed. Clubbing was discussed once in Parliament in the entirety of lockdown and it was lumped in with weddings. And it's like, that's, yeah, I, I think it just emphasised to me just how little, um, how little cultural and sort of civic power this industry or this like creative pursuit, it, it holds very little power in terms of, uh, you know, the way the country is run. And I, not not that that's changed, I'm not booking clubs as if, you know, I'm trying to build civic power, but I think it's, uh, I don't know. I think we need to, we need to think really hard about how we present dance music as a, like as a history and as a legacy, because it feels like we're, it emphasized to me just when the chips were down, no one really did take it as their, you know, take the mantle and be like, right, we're going to, we're going to get funding for clubs and we're going to get funding for, um, nighttime activity in in any other terms than like furlough was it and then you know if you fell between the cracks that wasn't you know no one was particularly bothered felt like in the public um conversation so yeah i i think having gone through all that i do feel i'm not sure what it is yet i just don't know what we need to do but there needs to be some sort of uh some sort of strategy for building a bit of um civic I keep using the word civic. I probably don't mean civic. I mean, I mean cultural weight in our public life or that. Yeah. Because it, it emphasized to me how, um, how little we have as it stands. Mm, absolutely. Um, I think perhaps it'll be good for us to document your personal experiences of like raving. Like, is there a particular venue that is just so important to you that, you feel like everyone should have the chance to try out a big night out there if they can. Yeah. Soup, soup Kitchen absolutely was my home away from home for years. And Soup was like, I worked near Soup, so you go upstairs. Sorry, yeah, not no longer Soup Kitchen. It's renamed Soup now. Um, but you'd go upstairs after work and you'd meet people from Manchester music scene. And it was big sort of, yeah, it's a big mixing pot and you could really sort of like run into people that you don't really necessarily, they're not in your scene or they're not, you know. That's why Manchester's always felt quite small, I guess, because the city centre is quite, it's quite a small city centre and you can run into a lot of different, different crews, different people and go downstairs and there's always a good night on in the basement, um, which is for my money, that basement still, it's the best venue in the UK. It's just the right size, city centre, sound system's great um it yeah it was real bare bones but it i you know i mean swingting have been there for so long and that was that was my monthly night out swingting was my i always said this to people like there's like a sort of yeah when people sort of talk about swingting or they talk about coming up for a swingting from london as a sort of like uh going on like a sort of uh pilgrimage because they've heard how good it is part of swingting's like how good it was was it was just your monthly night out you'd just go swingting you'd go with friends who weren't club heads no one's like train spotting trying to hear like the latest the latest like exciting electronic music it was just an actual party a proper rave that attracted a real great cross-section of manchester and i think that's sort of why i fell in love with soup so much that it felt like it was it wasn't um it never felt like a, I don't know. It never felt like it was a headsy thing. It was a, it felt quite, um, what's the word for this? Not, yeah, I, I, you know, it wasn't, um, it didn't feel like you had to be a sort of aficionado to enjoy soup kitchen. So yeah, that I'd say a swing ting in soup kitchen basement is my, that would be my top tier best night out raving experience. I'd say everyone should experience. Nice. Um, speaking of sort of building a family and um, a regular people that you hang out with, let's talk a bit about your label. Um, yeah. How would you describe like the ethos of the label? Um, I guess I've got like a really, again, I've like sort of deliberately don't think about it too much and tried not to be dogmatic about running a label. So because I've worked so closely with Tom on, local action who've released all my records i've always been like really impressed at how tom's tom puts an artist's 
vision first and, and it sounds really it sounds really wanky when you say it like that but putting what someone else wants to do ahead of like a label aesthetic or um trying to sign records that sound the same to build a, a back catalogue around that so i guess that's sort of it's in that image of like people in manchester that i'm around that i i've either heard records of theirs on radio or in clubs or just spoken to them about stuff they're working on and trying to i guess find people who've got really exciting projects and sort of get involved because i do really enjoy building records with people and putting it out so yeah it's a the ethos is very much um project by project i guess or not trying not to try not to make it too uh i don't feel people to feel beholden to a sound or like there's a sound of the label but um yeah that said it is all mostly weird club music of nights i would broadly go to so it's not you know it's not pe- people might listen and say it's not that broad i don't know what he's you know <laughs> but it's yeah that's that's the ethos i guess trying to yeah trying to work with with the record first and foremost mm. and so far how involved have you been in the record do you help like from an a and r perspective or do you just sort of let the artist bring to you whatever they've got um i guess it depends i think artwork has been the thing i've enjoyed working on the most and stuff like the booty spoon record we did so lickety split that came together and jason had written those tracks but i was quite involved in terms of i guess sort of finalizing it and thinking about what it's going to look like and then i mean jason's like really visual artists as is so the booty spoon record came together really easily but yeah feeding into what it's going to look like what it's going to feel like and i yeah i guess that's mostly what i'd like to contribute is like imagining it as a record and sort of yeah i think that's probably the the best function a label can offer really is thinking about things as not as a collection of tracks that are going to be released as like mp3s but making sure that things feel like even if it's digital only they feel like an object or a there's a there's a physical presence of a record i guess that's that's been quite important to me putting things together Mm. and have there been any particular moments with the label that you've just thought wow i'm really proud of this yeah yeah yeah, a bunch actually there's been yeah i'm really proud of all the records i've done i'm i'm really happy with i think yeah i'm luckily i don't have any record where i'm like that wasn't yeah that didn't come together as well um i guess the ans the first ans record um on the label that really caught caught people's imaginations and i think working with anna and seeing the way anna put that record together was like yeah a real treat really and then you know in terms of music anna will just will bring you music and music and music she makes so much music so i guess the work again like the work on thinking about okay how are we going to present this and you know putting the artwork together and putting it out and it sort of landing that felt really good um and that was sort of early on early on in the in the label's short history i guess but that's maybe yeah the moment where i felt like we we really did a good job with it like we really nailed the brief i guess Mm. do you have particular aspirations in mind for to be real um no not not really i guess i guess i do yeah i I guess like i listen to a lot of i mean i listen to like a lot of dance music on discogs especially and discogs is like a big i I mean it's a real terrible thing to indulge because being a discogs person is like not not always a great thing like there's a lot of insufferable discogs people out there <laughs> but i've really i've i have fallen in love with like the dance music the lineage the back catalog the finding finding records that you think like stand in time you know uh, as you know exciting cover and then you listen and the record's good as well and there's yeah there's a certain feeling there of um yeah like you know it's it's it it lasts forever that sounds terrible cliche again but i guess every record we do i really do want to it to feel like if you found it in a back catalog it would sit on its own as as an exciting fully realized body of work um so yeah more easier said than done i guess because 
you've, I mean, I'm completely beholden to artists who have ideas for, you know, wanting to do a record that's a bit more like with a visual concept as well. Or yeah, in some ways it's like you're taking dance music out of its comfort zone sometimes because it, it you know, I think you can release four MP3s with like a, a plain cover and that can, that can hit dance floors and function really well. I think the aspirations are about trying to make records that capture a bit of the artist as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, but, but, you know, whether we've been that successful again is, is up to people to judge, but that's definitely the, that's the overall goal. Mm, yeah. I think that comes across, especially about sort of capturing a moment in time in an artist's career because you catch people quite early on don't you but then they go on to absolutely win yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean that's that's helpful as well isn't it that like if you do like an Anne's record Anne's has gone on to I, this is what i mean though about you you beholden you're working with artists that are like these people are you know true geniuses so you know let them let them decide how they want to present their record and sort of build around that um yeah i get i guess yeah that's that's what we're trying to do. I'm not necessarily trying to find people at the early in their career. Most of this is just running into people in clubs and chewing their ear off. <laughs> I think some some publications would describe it as organic. Organic, yeah, yeah organic, yeah, yeah. grassroots, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll take that. <laughs> um, I just wanted to hear a bit more about mixtape club as well because I just think it's really cool. Um, why did you want to get it going? Maybe just explain for our listeners who might not have heard about it yet what yeah. Mixtape Club is. I've, I realised as well, I've gone on about Film Club, which is an entirely separate <laughs> endeavour that was just me and my friends. <laughs> Mixtape Club was probably named a bit after that. Um, but Mixtape Club is a an actual formal professional project where we, I guess, I was, uh, sort of the stuff I was talking about earlier about the art of dance music and in lockdown feeling like there was an art it was all at risk and it felt like the fabric of dance music itself was crumbling for me I didn't know how to respond to that I spent ages and ages and this is on furlough as well so I, I had like too long to commit to this really but thinking about a model we could do where we could pay DJs for mixers without falling afoul of licensing and selling illegal tapes you know an above board system that you could pay a DJ to make a mix in lockdown that wasn't a live stream that was a you know, a formal mixtape with a again with an, a concept behind it and artwork um so i i worked out a, a sort of a model where we'd pledge to do three six mixtapes 300 pound budget for each which is small but like just starting there and then start a patron um where people could put a fiver in each month of the mixtape club um and when it built up we'd share any profit we made on top of these 300 pounds we just share all the profit equally among the djs who contribute to the series so it was a sort of yeah it was quite a sort of I mean, it's probably more it was sounds more complicated than it is we were ultimately just wanted to pay djs to make mixtapes if we make more than 300 pounds a month all that money just goes back to the DJs for contributing to the series. So it was quite successful, really. We did um, we did a run of six. We started with Ariel Satina, which was really exciting because Ariel was, again, at a certain point in her career where she'd put, I guess she had a certain sound or there was like a bit of a sound emerging from her records, which she managed to capture in a mixtape. And it felt, felt quite, felt like a really good use of the mixtape that in terms of dance music and like capturing her. A, a place in time and then we did jason did a valentine's mixtape which he said he wants to do for years and then we did jubilee um i'm gonna forget the other people we did now jubilee uh and then on to the last one we did was annabelle fraser we did sicaria sound am i missing someone yeah factor and kalone as well and they all did their own take on the dance music mixtape which was yeah really actually i really enjoyed it and gave me a bit of a, a new lease of life in terms of stuff to do in lockdown that wasn't releasing records or felt like it was about djing and about dance music in a way that um is hard to do on radio or releasing records it's a bit of a different space 
so yeah it was, it was good it was a success we didn't quite make our money back I don't think but you know nothing ventured nothing gained um, and we're going to do another another series starting next month actually if I can pull my finger out in time Mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting to be sort of considering these other ways of generating revenue for, you know, DJs and musicians outside of like the traditional model of like you turn up to the club and you play for an hour and you get mm. paid for that. Is there anything else that you've seen or read about that sort of pushes on where those ideas could go? Um, yeah, I, I had a few conversations with people about this and the potential, I guess, for making... I guess DJing is like in a weird, yeah, we're beholden to like selling tickets on the door, which is again shared between promoters and DJs. And then thinking about this is sort of coming back to clubs again post lockdown, thinking about these models a bit more and like where the money's generated. It does all feel like, you know, you can, you can lose money on like on rain if you're throwing a club night and it pisses it down. <laughs> yeah. So I like, that's, you know, you, I, I'm not convinced you can build a um, you can build a, a club scene on not a club scene a a culture on that alone especially now record sales aren't just aren't enough to sustain careers so I don't think mixtape club is the answer for for the record I, like we we didn't make we didn't make enough money to like prove the model but maybe if we bring it back and you know this next season goes well we could end up with like a, you know quite a sizable patronage sort of for the concept. Um, but I was, yeah, I was thinking about how you could apply that to a club night where you could fund, fund a club night, not on ticket sales, but on, you just want to see it happen every month. So you put a fiver in regardless of whether you go, you're just a sort of, you know, a patron of swinging and you'd be like, right, I, I, I want to pay a fiver in, even if I don't want to go out on that Friday out, you know, I still mm. want to put in whether you could build that and you could build collectives on a monthly income which isn't dependent on bodies in the room. And yeah. yeah, I think there is a lot of exciting stuff to be explored there. But we've all come out of lockdown. Everyone just wants to get back to clubbing, <laughs> I guess. So yeah, I think some of these ideas could, yeah, you could get into that in a couple of years, see if people are up for, I don't know, maybe, you know, funding magazines or podcasts or, yeah, I think that stuff feels quite ripe actually in mm-hmm. terms of what people want. Yeah, definitely. I think there's definitely something to explore with what you were saying about sort of subscribing to a night, even if you don't actually end up making it down. Um, Because, you know, the way you described attending Swing Ting and that being sort of like something that you really enjoyed. I know I feel the same about a night that used to happen at Corsica Studios, the Hyperdub party, you know, I just loved being part of it and just attending. And I would have definitely supported that, you know, even if I woke up and I didn't feel like raving that night. You was know? that the, that was the Thursday night one, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I never good. made it, I never made it down. Oh. I, I wish I had. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. I guess that's exactly the same sort of night where it's like, it's not really about headliners. You're not paying, you're not paying to go and see a DJ play. You're paying for a community and a scene, which I think that would, I think that that does need a lot of work because it does feel like dance music is too beholden to boom and bust headliners, big DJs taking big fees, trying to sell tickets to make your money back. Yeah, I find all that stuff quite stressful and yeah, not not really why I'm into it, not really why I want to go clubbing. So yeah, I think you're right. There should be some sort of work on this and whether you could, yeah, whether you could build a club night that isn't, always beholden to the door Mm. Mm. interesting um well i won't keep you much longer i was just wondering if to to round things off today you would maybe let us know what's coming next for you and also just anything that you're looking forward to um yeah i'm well what's next we we are going to start mixtape club up again um i've just i've completely like cars on the table i've completely burnt out at the end of this year because Mm. I think everyone's feeling this a bit. It's just been yeah. a bit of a, it's been a crap two years. Everything's come back and I've got no energy. So yeah. I'm going to start Mixtape Club up again with Tom and we're going to get some more mixtapes out over the winter. For To Be Real, we're working on quite, we're working on quite a big project, like a big mixtape, which is the longest thing we've ever put out. So 
we're taking our time with that as well. Not going to rush it out. So we're going to see if maybe we can do that um, start next year and just re- rest a bit this winter. And not we're not yeah. going to be we're not going to go underground, but like slow it down a bit. And then mm-hmm. from next year, yeah, we've got a bunch of bunch of new records lined up. Mixtape club will still be going, and hopefully some more parties at White Hotel with party called Crew. But other than that, yeah, I'm just looking forward to a good a good rest, a restful winter. Yeah, a little bit of hibernation. Absolutely, yeah. Brilliant. Well, Finn, thank you so much for speaking with me today. It's been really interesting, so thank you. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Martha. I'm all about that. for listening to RA's Exchange with Finn. Some really interesting takes on the potential future of club nights in there. It really got me thinking. I hope it did for you as well. Our full archive of podcasts is available for you to take in. If you enjoyed this episode, you might like to listen to Matt McDermott's interview with Relaxer, which is available on all platforms right now. I will have a new episode for you next week. Until then, take care.